On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, we interview a legend in the Canadian media scene. What's it like interviewing guys like Mike Tyson and Kobe Bryant? Plus, the direction sports betting content is heading and if there's anything we can do to change it. That and more on today's episode of 90 Degrees. Welcome to the 90 Degrees Podcast, where we take an inside look into the sports betting industry. I'm your host, G-Stack George, and I'm excited because... I've got, uh, he probably won't like this word, but I've got a legend in sports media with me, and he's been so kind to join me in studio for my first ever in-studio uh, interview. Cabby, thanks for joining me. We clap for ourselves, George. Okay, okay. Thank you for being, thank you for the invitation, and it's wonderful to be here. Cabby, I, I got to ask before you, uh, before we get into it. Your name is Cabral, but where does Cabby come from? Okay, so um, great question. My dad, when I was five, he started calling me Cabby. So C- Cabral is my name, and and it wasn't like a it wasn't a nickname that I had carried through school. Uh, there was one guy in high school who called me Cabby, but everybody just called me either Cab or Richards. And then when I got to the score, everybody had a nickname. It was like hockey nicknames, like uh, Steve Coolius was Cooley, and. Um, uh, Jeez, now I'm thinking, like, did McAuliffe had it? And McAuliffe was just McAuliffe. Sid was just Sid. Verk was Verk. Now, oh, no. I guess there, there were some, like, editors and other producers. Uh, Glenny, this guy, Glenn, Glenn McDonald, was Glenny. So it was just, Cabral was just harder for people to say. So sure. it just went to Cabby, and that's um, and that became, like, my professional moniker was Cabby. And and th- I've been there have been times where people actually thought I was a cab driver. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I can get you to where you need to go. I just need five stars on the, on the rating. So sure. In purgatory on on this driving app. Before you get into media, like are you, big sports fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. W- which sports are your favorite growing up? Uh, growing up was baseball, um, just because the Blue Jays. I'm I'm a lot older than you, so the Blue Jays had a nice run in the '80s, and you know '85 they lose to the Royals. I think they were up three one in that se- in the ALCS, uh, and then there was a resurgence, obviously in the '90s, and that's when I was in high school. And I was more of a Cleveland fan than I was a Toronto Blue Jays fan because I loved Albert Bell and I loved Kenny Lofton. Okay. I'm, again, I'm dating myself. No, no, no. I, I, I think Jim Tomey, uh, yeah, Oral, Oral Hershiser. Oral Hershiser. I, yeah. I, I love the Cleveland I mean, yeah, Indians he, too. They went to the they went to the World Series in '95 and '97, uh, and um, uh, and anyway. So, but but like now, I think it's probably basketball one, football one A hockey than baseball or sometimes it's baseball than hockey and i'm not i'm not that big of a soccer guy okay um but i'm i'm like learning i, I follow the premiership a little bit champs league a little bit i'm really just con- like like many people i'm just um consuming highlights on my phone yeah so when messi has scored in every freaking game yeah. for inter miami yeah or ronaldo's like okay i see you messi i see what you're doing over there i'm gonna just gonna score two in this in this Saudi league and he wins a, you know, it's, I love how, um, I love watching greatness and we've been, you know, you're alive at any time in, you know, the last 40 or 50 years, you've seen greatness in your era. And like those two guys are phenomenal. They're icons in their sport. And, uh, but I need to, I need to like Messi is in the MLS. So I really have no excuse not to tap, not to start following MLS a little more. I did when TFC had a nice, excuse me, had a nice run in like the Josie Altador era, yeah, uh, and they won a they won an MLS Cup in seventeen, I think. 
I think it was. They had the rematch against Seattle. And yeah, they, and that's they, right. Because yeah. they, they lost the first one 1 0, and then I think they won the second one 2 0, maybe, or 2 1. But yeah, I, yeah, so I need to follow them. What, what are yours? Love football. Yeah, uh, okay. I, and I'm going to like, like NFL it. or college? NFL. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. so I, I love all sports. But if you said to me, you got two choices. Uh, button one, football exists and every other sport disappears. <laughs> or button two, every other sport lives but football disappears. It wouldn't even, I wouldn't even blink twice. It's just button like, one. Bye to everybody else. Football is king. I love it. Now, can you watch spring football though? Like, have you given the XFL a I chance? I love the XFL. Now, you do? You, yeah, you do? I, I'm a wrestling fan, so I'm like, I, I almost feel obligated to support the XFL. Got it. I don't like USFL. I don't love college, and part of that is because... Saturday, you don't love college football? N- no, I, 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 I watch it, but I don't love it like I love NFL. Like, the NFL, there's not a day that goes by where I don't think about football. Wow. Not, not a day. 365 wow. days a year. I'm always thinking football. Wow, that's your that's your ting, man. That's, yeah. yeah. Wow, that is, that's... I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that before, but uh, salute to you. I, I mean, other than guys that actually guys in the NFL probably don't think about football every single day. F- football is my soulmate. That's, that, that, that's, <laughs> that's how close that's I your am. girl. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Okay. Did you know you wanted to get into sports when no, you were younger? Man. No, I wanted to be Will Smith. I want to be Denzel Washington. And I obviously do not have the talent of those uh, two legendary uh, actors. So that, but they're like, I didn't even know you could get on TV. Even though I was watching TV, but there was like no route for me to be on television or to work in media. I didn't even know what media was. And it wasn't until high school there was um there was a there was a guidance counselor. Now I'm, I'm now I'm trying to remember if it was a uh, like a classmate of mine or a guidance counselor that said you should think about Ryerson Ryerson's TV program. And I didn't I don't even know if I, Ryerson was even on my radar. My parents went to U of T, mm-hmm. both of them, and that's where they met. I didn't even know Ryerson existed. I mean, I lived at the time, I lived in Cambridge, Ontario. So a bunch of my peers were going to Western, they're going to Guelph, they're going to Waterloo, and they're going to Laurier, like the schools in that area. Um, but I'm from Toronto. I moved to Cambridge when I was 12. And even in Toronto, it was just like U of T and York. Sure. Those are the two schools. Anyway, so um, when I got to Ryerson, then I noticed like, oh, there is a path to be on television and... I got lucky. There was a guy at school who one day saw myself and Adnan Verk in the hall. Was like, "Give me your resumes. I'm working at this place called Headline Sports, and they need interns." And I was like, "You know what? I'm I'm in a television program. I should probably get an internship." Yeah. And then luckily I did, and then that's that was the beginning of my career. Did you end up finishing school, or I did not. No, I did not. I only did three years, and then I was like, "I'm gonna go try to be an actor," and uh, it was such a bad decision because I I like I was doing. I probably did maybe 12 commercials, like a couple Tim Hortons, and I'm always eating the food in the commercials. And like, <laughs> when, you're, when you're shooting the commercials, they're like, all right, you don't have to eat the whole thing. Heard, take it. it takes like 20, 30 takes sometimes. Yeah, yeah. but I was like, I'm hungry, and it, like, I always get like the bowl of chili. I got a bowl of chili, like a, you know, a turkey sandwich, and I'm eating the friggin' thing, and they're like, yeah, you can just, it's so wasteful. You take one bite and there's a literally a bucket beside you. You can spit out the thing oh, and yeah. throw it in the bucket. But I'm like, I'm not going to waste. Listen, I'm from Caribbean. Like my parents are immigrants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not wasting any food. No, we don't bro. do that. No, we don't. So um, anyway, so I, I was doing some commercials and I had like small parts in TV movies and random movie of the weeks that would shoot in Toronto to like, to be like the fake Chicago or fake New York. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, when I started Cabby on the Street, it was my pursuit of doing something creative on 
on a regular basis, a regular cadence. So once a week, these these streeter segments would appear on the score, and that's where all my creative energy was going to. While I was auditioning, you get a few pages of dialogue you got to remember for tomorrow at two forty-five. I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's auditioning is the worst. Mm-hmm. And like memorizing, you know, two pages isn't too bad. Sometimes you get like six pages of dialogue, and you have to remember the other person's dialogue yeah. just so you can follow along. I remember hearing the story where Sam Jackson, it was a table read, Quinn Tarantino uh, is doing a table read for Pulp Fiction. And actually then, I, so I heard the story from a guy named Robert Forster who was in the movie Jackie Brown, so after Pulp Fiction. And uh, Sam Jackson's like a Bales Bondsman, and I can't remember what Robert Forster's role was in the movie. But anyway, Robert Forster told me about Sam Jackson. He said, Sam Jackson would know your dialogue better than you because he could... He could like quote your dialogue for you in a scene, even like when you're rehearsing, or even if you forget a line, he knew your dialogue. So, and that was in '97. I met Robert Forster in '98. He was shooting a movie here in Toronto, and a friend of mine said, "Hey, can you just go run lines with this actor?" And he told me that story. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" So I'm like, "Okay, I'll, you know, Sam Jackson's like this incredible actor. Like, I want to like replicate his level of preparation." Yeah, I didn't. I didn't do very well, <laughs> obviously, because I'm, you know, I'm just like a some uh, adult child interview bugging athletes and stuff and not an accomplished actor who would currently be on strike right now. But either way, the acting thing didn't work out, but the TV thing did. I'm very fortunate. I actually think you're better off because uh, even if the money isn't the same as being oh, a no, potential it's not the same. celebrity, no, no. you know what? You created your own lane though. Thank you, bro. Streeters, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confession to me because my first gig in media was for News Talk 1010. And they had a segment where they'd have a doctor on, and I had to ask people, uh, give me a medical question for the doctor. Okay. But I was too shy. So I would get friends and family to... I've done that before, too. Okay, because I could never do streeters. I was just too shy to go up to a group of people and say, hey, I work for a radio station. I need to record Oh, no, it's not easy, bro. Like, no. just uh, approaching strangers in general and asking for their time and then... Like, I'm a bigger guy, so, like, I don't... I was kind of going with a smile, so I'm not, like, threatening at all. Yeah. And there's so much rejection, bro. It, I mean, first as an actor... Well, no, first in high school with girls, there's a ton of rejection. I think I batted, I batted 48 in high school. 0.048 in high school. And then in doing street... And then in auditioning, you know, you they say you get, you get one role for every 20 auditions. That is, like, 19 for 20 failures. Imagine wow. you're a baseball player... You're bat- I guess that's, I think that's batting 50. Yeah, no, that, that's batting bad, yeah. <laughs> like, well below the Mendoza line. Uh, or, actually, we should update the Mendoza line, because isn't, like, I think Kyle Schwarber's batting, like, 190, 180-something. Yeah, averages or, in general are all down now. Yeah, like, now. Pete Alonso. Like, guys are batting sub-200. Yeah. Bro, you're making, you're making $17 million a year. Like, homie, get in the cage. Watch some film. Yeah. I, listen, and I, I, yeah, I'm saying that in jest because pitchers are out here. Adolis, Adolis Chapman's out here throwing 102. Yeah, they all, like, I remember when Chapman was the first guy to throw that heat. Yeah. And now it's everybody, every team has two relievers that throw 100 plus. That is insane. And then, like, got, like some guys, their slider, Gossman's got his, uh, not his slider, Gossman's his, um, his splitter. And not too many guys throw splitter. Him and o- Otani throw splitter. Like, the movement is just gross. So, anyway, um, the, uh, what was I, oh, yeah, streeters. Not easy. So, um, we would go out for, like, a couple of hours to try to get, like, 10, 8 to 10 really, like, great sound bites. And then the, 
you know, the final video might be three minutes or something like that. So you're most of the crap is like left on the editing floor, but it's sure. hard, man. And I, I was doing streeters in 2001. So it was like myself, my man, B Brian Roy, my camera guy, my man D joined like six months later. And then we would just go to like, I would go to a lot of schools. So Humber, Ryerson, York, U of T, just try, try and find people my own age yeah. that I felt like comfortable talking to. And then also the scores audience was like super young at the time. It was like just basically college kids and young professionals. Cause it was basically people that loved fantasy yeah. and just diehard sports fans. Cause we had like so many stats on the and, graphic. And gambling and gambling. Oh, gambling yeah. too. Yeah. I guess back, when did bet three, six, five? Oh, uh, it wasn't legally uh, gambling. Well, yeah, it was yeah. a gray market. Yeah, some yes. gray market stuff. Yes. But third, bet, bet three, six, five, I remember getting an account in, God, like the mid 2000s. When they were Bowman's. No, I think it was still, okay, it was still they, branded they, Bet365. They just, they just turned, because I think Bet365 originally was Bowman's. Oh, okay. I, yeah, that's yeah. Be, yeah, but before I, before my time, actually the score, you know, it's funny you say it again, like we were, every the at the, the score and, and McCall, Tim McAuliffe and I, who's uh, you know, uh, one of my colleagues, I, also a colleague at Sportsnet, um, but we've said many times, like in conversations where we're just having wings somewhere, that like we'll never replicate the work culture of the score, because there were like, 200 people, I think, worked for the network, but, you know, the producers, editors, on air, there was, like, maybe 100 of us. Everybody was between, like, 20 and 30. And we were in so many pools. Yeah. And we used to talk so much to each other, like, real vile, like, just cancelable friggin' dialogue to each other's faces. And then we were play fight. Like, it was, it was basically an extension of the locker room. But then we were, like, a sports network. And it was awesome. It was awesome. But, yeah, gambling, for sure. There only a few guys had like bookies at the time, but we were mostly into fantasy in you know that the the two thousands. Oh, yeah, one or two guys had actual bookies, and then when three six five came around, I think a few guys got accounts. Yeah. Hey, wanted to talk to you about Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the best bettors play. Everyday competitive odds. Bet smart. Bet Pinnacle must be 19 plus in Ontario, not available in the U.S. Please play responsibly. Now back to the rest of the show. Yeah, it was a game changer. Um, when's the first time you get off the street and you go, here's an athlete to interview? Do you remember who your first athlete interview was? Yes, it was. Um, I was doing Cabin on the Street. It was in 2002. It, I believe it was Wade Belak. Oh, yeah. God rest his soul. Uh, I was doing a bit about pre-game meals like it was so like this is i wasn't doing open heart surgery like it was just a real basic ish wade belak was in it darcy tucker um on the raptors mo pete jerome williams and i think i had like the charlotte hornets were in town so i got like baron davis and baron davis said he eats pork i'm oh. like you eat pork bro it's a there's a weird thing with not weird but like some some people in, in like some black people don't eat pork. Yeah. And some people do, depending on where you're from in the United States. And, but in the Caribbean, pork's not really a thing. But anyway, I think that was, way be like, I believe was the first. Uh, and that was like April of 02. And then Vince Carter did a charity basketball game. And this is at the height of Vince Carter, like fandom in 2002. And he had like a bunch of his uh, Carolina team, like Antoine Jameson came and a few other like high flyers. Not that Jameson was a high flyer, but... They came, it was during Carabana weekend. It sold out the Air Canada Center. And I did some interviews there. And it, it like, here, 
I always want to try to make the athletes laugh. And that was like how I felt like I got a W in the interview. And, and the guys were playful as the summertime. So I got some great feedback and some great um, uh, clips. And that just boosted my confidence. And the, the, big, the first big one for me was uh, I interviewed Pedro Martinez in 2003. And Pedro, he was with Boston. And, you know, his run from like 90, what, 99 to 03 yeah. was just electric. I have a friend who believes, and I, I kind of don't want to argue with him, that was the best run a pitcher's ever had. Pedro's peak, even though it may not have lasted as long as the other greats, he was unhittable, like sub two ERA, yeah. 15, 16 Ks in a game. He yeah. was just a monster. Yeah. You know what? The, Pedro's peak. Now, again, I'm dating myself here. Bob Gibson's peak and Sandy Koufax's peak are like, actually, you know, even Clemens had Clemens had like, yeah, I love, he's my favorite. I love Rod, Roger yeah. Clemens. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he was a blue Jay too. And I even two side youngs with the I Jay. Know. He was like two years. I know 20 Ks. Like, yeah, I, I, I loved everything about Roger. And I think he won, I think he won a Cy Young in 86. So he was rookie of the year. Maybe he won a Cy Young, maybe he won an MVP, but I mean, he was incredible too. But yeah, the, those three Gibson, Koufax, Pedro, like they had four year runs. Bob Gibson had a, he had, they had to lower the mounds for this guy. It was, the mountain used to be 12 inches. They lowered it to six because this mother bleeper was so dominant. And this is an era where, like, you don't smile at the opponent. There's no fraternizing with the opponent. Like, mm -hmm. you guys hate each other. And, you know, he was with the, with the St. Louis Cardinals. I think he had a, I want to say he had an ER of, like, 180, 168 once. It was, I know this is, I'm totally on a tangent here, but this is just stats thing. I like telling the story. There was a, there was a, Donaldson, so Jeff, Josh Donaldson and I were in the Jays clubhouse one afternoon. Just him and I. We were sitting in his locker, and I'm all, I'm on my phone, and we're going through Barry Bonds' stats. Oh, they're stupid. And we are giggling, bro. Yeah, we're stupid. both adults. Yeah. And we're just going through like 98, 99, 2000, like looking at his on base. Yeah, this it's like 590, 600. It's insane. Every 10 at bats, he would he would be on base six times out of 10. It that was, one season, yeah. yeah, I think it was 2004 or, or, or 2001 or 2004. It was just weird. And, and Donaldson was an MVP. Like he won MVP in, in 15, I believe, not 16. But like, and we're, I don't think we compared his numbers to Bonds, but we were just like, this guy was un. I think he's like, Shohei needs a few more MVPs in my mind. Okay. To pass Bonds as like the greatest baseball player ever. I know, obviously, no, Barry Bonds was not, is not a pitcher. He won a bunch of gold gloves and uh, left field. Um, but like his numbers are just staggering, dude. And like, he had like 200. Imagine being walked 100 times on purpose. I know. On purpose. They, they walked him with bases loaded and brought a run in because yes, they, cause they were protecting a two-run lead and they didn't want him hitting. You know, they, we were briefly speaking about Michael and LeBron before we started this. Uh, Stephen, a, Stephen A. Smith has this quote. He's like, um, I think he said LeBron was great, but everybody feared Michael. Mm -hmm. Everybody feared Barry Bonds. Oh yeah. And like from the, and from Greg Maddox, who's a wonderful storyteller. He's got some bonds. Everybody has like a bond story. Not everybody, but the pitchers of that era. Cause like, how are you going to, this guy, 
is waiting for one pitch the entire at bat. He's like, I'm waiting for a fastball. Like I know it's gonna, it's either inside or outside. I'm gonna cover the plate because I'm amazing, and I'm just waiting for the. I have the discipline to wait for the one pitch. If I, if I'm not getting it, I'm gonna walk. I'm yeah. gonna go to first base, yeah. and then I might steal because he's got like 500 stolen bases in his career. Anyway, I know this is a tangent. Salute to Josh Donaldson. I miss him so much. I told him when he went said, uh, he signed with the Yankees. I'm like, bro, I. I really like you. I just can't support you right now. Because, and he's like, I get it. I love that. Uh, you know, uh, you talk about being feared. I remember Roger in that era with Barry and not wanting to walk Barry because Roger also had big cojones. Like, yeah. I'm Roger. I don't, you got to cater to what I do. I don't cater to how good you are. So when I wonder what those head to head stats are. Like, uh, I wonder how many times they would have even faced each other because interleague play wasn't. I mean, I guess maybe Roger in Houston, he had that one or one or two seasons. Yeah. He might probably face him. There does. And you think he still, did he win a Young with the with the Astros? I think he won Late. four or five of them. And he won the World Series with the Astros. And did he? I think 04. No. 04, they won the World Series, I believe. Hold on. No, we're not using Google. Okay, hold on. Hold on. 2002 was Anaheim. 2003 was the Miami, Mar or Florida Marlins. 2004 was... And then 2005 was Chicago. That was 2004. I'm pretty sure the Astros, and they signed him maybe 20% through the season. They just signed him on. White Sox won it in 2004. When oh, did, did the Astros ever win? Or am I, am I like completely Berenstein bearing this moment right now? Then who won in 2005? We can't use Google, but we have to use our brains. Producer Jason is... Uh, okay, producer Jason is using Google. That, that's, a, that's a loophole, right? Did they win? Uh, it was the White Sox in 2005. Okay, White Sox 2005. Who won but 2004? Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, of comeback, the comeback. Oh, my gosh. The greatest comeback in the history of the sport, down 3 nothing. I was, I went to that, that ALCS, and it was awesome. I was did some real flagrant-ish. I had a friend who was like a finance guy in Boston, and I saw games three, four, and five. Game five, Poppy, I think, he's, I think he singles to right field or doubles to right field. And that brings in the scoring, the winning run. And then so Boston's back in the series three, yeah. two. Man, we were in a, a suite. I was throwing like, em, like empty bottles, empty cans of beer down to like the, like I was just real flagrant. Like I, I deserve a punch in the face <laughs> for that behavior at some point in the future. I hope I don't get it, but I deserve it. <laughs> Next uh, time somebody does something to you, you're like, you know what? That's karma. It's, yeah. it, it came back uh, 20 years later. Um, you know, you interview different athletes and I find in an interview, you've got to find some rapport somewhere fast. Otherwise the interview can go bad. Did it's you, not easy. And you probably know this as an interviewer. Well, it, it, so people who have uh, the same co-host and they can chat it up. There's comfort there. Whereas I've got a new dance partner every episode yes. and I've got to learn what their vibe is. I got to match it and got to make an interview that they haven't done 20 times over. Cause you know, you get interviewed so many times, eventually the questions will repeat themselves. Do you ever have an interview that just went, you know what? I didn't have chemistry with this guy. It oh. didn't go well. Yes, yes. You don't have to name the name. But I'll try to think of one. No, um, but the interview was just like terrible. Um, maybe something that didn't make air or maybe it did make air and uh, you had to edit it your best. We can come back to that if you don't have one off the top of your, off the top of your head. Let's revisit. I think something, okay. something will jog your memory. Okay. 
you do creative stuff, right? Thank you. You you don't just do hey here's five questions. How's the season going? How's <laughs> right? It, Correct. And I I listened to Mr. Beast on a podcast, and he spoke about his process. They actually sit there, whiteboard it, brainstorm. A bunch of people come up with ideas, and then they come up with the theme idea of what episode they're going to do. Because you, you you're a creative like that, right? Your interview is not an interview. It, it's an experience. It's an thanks, experience. man. Thanks. How, what was your process like? Wh- when do you start getting creative? Like, because you've done some crazy shit over the years. Thanks, bro. W- w- how do you formulate your ideas? I used to go to like this fictional place called the Lab, and I would like just pen and paper, write down ideas. My longtime collaborator, Dave Cricks, uh, we, would, we would have a phone call and then we would just start throwing things back and forth and then, okay, there's the germination, there's a seed there. There's a, and then we would build on random things and I always try to humanize athletes. So it, whatever's in the culture, whatever's in the zeitgeist, whether it's like phones or movies or food or some event, I would try to bring, I would like use that as a, as a foundation and I always, there were three things we considered at when I was at TSN was, um, what is the athlete willing to do? What can we get away with? And how much time do we have? Some variation of those three things. So a lot of it was just like, I would go off and Dave would go off and we'd try to come up with some stuff on our own. And then we would collaborate with a phone. It was always a phone call. And then David usually have funnier ideas than me. I'm like, oh, this is good. This is good. And then I, I really love props in my interviews. I, I like us doing some things. And then sometimes I don't bring props. And maybe to, to the detriment of the interview. And sometimes I do. But, but generally, I try to bring some props just so we have something to interact with. And that's how it goes. And it's just, um, I don't usually watch interviews the other um that the athlete has done before unless it's the first time i'm interviewing them and just like if the person is european or if the person is like south american like how's their english yeah uh i I, you know i need to i need to know that and just like how comfortable they're speaking how comfortable are they speaking a second language if i had to do an an interview in french it'd be a disaster i would need an interpreter because i mean we learned french in elementary school but can i say anything more no i forgot everything the, the year after it became uh, stop being mandatory to yeah. take friends, everything went out the head. I, <laughs> didn't, I didn't capture anything. I wish I remembered. The easiest way to improve as a sports better is use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like BetStamp. BetStamp compares odds across every sports book for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by clicking BetStamp before you bet. Download the app today. If you're looking to sign up to a new sportsbook account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Now back to the episode. Man, it, it's like I wish, anyway. Um, so that, that's, that's like my process. So I have, um, you know, we're, I'm not sure when this will be posted, but we're coming up on to the, like the MLB like playoff run teams trying to qualify for the playoffs. So there's some, some players that I want to, uh, interview in like the AL West, so like Houston and um, Houston and Texas, Houston and Texas. So like uh, now I'm like, okay, I don't, I've never interviewed like Marcus Simeon or Kyle Tucker or Nathaniel Lowe. Never met, I've like seen these guys play, but never met them. So that n- now I'm like, okay, what can I? Okay, Texas, Texas is my starting point. Everything's bigger in Texas. I'm like, okay, wait, they probably spoken about that. I'm not going to do country music. My brain is like, all right, how do they? 
uh, I would love to interview. I wish Jordan Alvarez spoke English, like, sure. as his as his first language, because that guy's amazing. Uh, and uh, Jose Altuve, he's, he actually is comfortable speaking English. So, like, what would I do with him? Okay, he's short. I don't want to bring up his height unless it's the size of his heart. Oh, is there something in the size of his heart? Is there something? About, is there something like you know that that meme where like the, there's a, an X-ray of a person's um, with a dog in the yeah chest. with their yeah, yeah their, with their ribs, and you see the like okay, is there the dog? Maybe that's that is a starting point there. What kind of dog is he? What kind of dog does he think? So it, it's stupid ish like that. I love that's that. where that's where it kind of. That's where it kind of starts. I, I have to interview John Daly. Um, not I have to. I will be interviewing him in a couple of days. And John Daly, like I think I'm going to start the interview with, when did you fully embrace Mall Santa Chic <laughs> as your, as your like your, your whole image. essence, your yeah. whole vibe? Yeah. And hopefully he smiles like you just did. And um, I just, I just, I want to make, as you say, I want to make the interview an experience because I want to go back like late, I'd like to re-interview you if it goes well, yeah, uh, or just have it be memorable on that day. Like, oh, the, well, that was I did not expect that. And I well, one time I interviewed uh, Kevin Love. This was God. This is ten years ago, and I asked him to draw a portrait of himself. And this was just like regular media availability. He was on the Minnesota Timberwolves at the time, so I had a photo of him and like a blank canvas and with Sharpie. And it, like halfway through, he's drawing his face. He goes, "When I woke up this morning, I did not, ex- I did not think I would be doing this." Today. Yeah, yeah. And that was such a that was such a like a victory for me because yeah, you're right. I, like I I want this to be interesting or unique for you. So I hope you enjoyed it. You know, um, hockey players are often like they're considered one of the roughest interviews because they're like cliche, a thon, robots. I remember two interviews you did, one with Stamkos, and you're literally blindfolded, and, Thanks, and he's yeah. shooting pucks at a net, yeah. and you're trying to stop him. Or you, I think you were speaking with the Oilers, and you gave them all, your, here's your to-do list. I want you on a whiteboard, right? Oh, thanks. Right? Because there's an, a hockey interview that could be as dull as can be, and you made a memorable moment. Thanks, man. You interview Mike Tyson, and Mike Tyson, I love everything about him, like his whole aura. And the interview can either go really well or really bad. Because if Mike doesn't want to play with you that day, you had him putting Vaseline on your face, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The concept of going viral. Now it's uh, everybody uh, tries to attain it in their interviews. And I feel it's almost forced. You weren't, it wasn't a concept that we knew about 15, 20 years ago when you started doing these interviews. What was your thought process? You're like, I need to have a moment that is entertaining that captures like some sort of fun. Were you trying to go viral? What well, that thinking didn't exist back then because YouTube as a platform, I think I want to say it was established in 04, 05, but people didn't really start adopting it to like 05, 06. And when we were at the score, we weren't allowed to put our clips on YouTube, but my clips would have been perfect for oh, YouTube. Oh, yeah. These are four or five minute videos of me being a, a dumbass with hockey players, baseball, basketball, etc. So the concept of, of virality, yeah, it didn't exist in the culture at that time. And even in the, as far as like planning what we would do, there wasn't like the final, like, okay, this is the, this is the crescendo of the interview. I didn't have any, anything that premeditated. I'd have like five questions and I would allow myself a little bit of space to kind of dance, to freestyle based on what, what, um, answers I would get. Now there were like, 
like the the best inter- the best segment I ever did was this hockey knobs one. And salute to um, Steve Ludzig who gave us the idea. I was asking players with the heavy innuendo, "How do you tape your stick? <laughs> How do you wrap your knob?" And um, so just that question, like, okay, I know we're gonna get some great responses. And it wasn't until like guys would click in, they're like, "Oh, this is what you're asking." That moment was like, it's it's the, like the best in that that particular. Uh, video, but no, I didn't really have like one. Sorry, it wasn't that often where I would have like one great closing question or like one question in there. That like I know this is going to be the banger. Yeah, every once in a while it would happen. Like, how do you tape your stick? Um, one time I gave Kobe pajamas, and I'm like for our sleepover, and I knew like the reveal of the pajamas would be pretty pretty special because I found like these basic plaid pajamas. And Kobe obviously didn't put them on and he wouldn't put them on because Kobe was like a serious guy. Although he let me in. He was a serious guy. But just the visual of me handing him plaid pajamas, I knew it would be like a funny visual. Specifically for Kobe Bryant, who was just like a no-nonsense guy. Although he did like smile or whatever. I think I cut him a key for my house too. I I don't... Well, he never came to my house. But... uh, um, Were you intimidated the first time that... I met Kobe, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It was, it was like a, we're December 05, it was a snowstorm in Toronto the night before. So we get to the Dave, myself, camera guy. And there's one other, there's like a camera guy for Raptors TV. No other media was there. The Leafs had played the night before. And Toronto was obviously like a, a Leafs media market. So it was just like after practice, I just walked up to Cope. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And he had like this big like North Face Canada Goose jacket on. And he just, he just looked like, like he didn't want to be bothered, but I'm like, I need to go speak to this dude because yeah. he's, he's only here once. Like the Lakers only play in Toronto once and then Toronto goes playing in LA. Um, and then I asked him about bandwagon fans and like, what does he think about bandwagon fans? And I had a pad of paper and a sharpie and I wanted him to draw what a bandwagon looked like. He didn't, he didn't draw, he goes, I suck at art. Like I can't. Well, years later, Colby, you did do a short documentary. Film. I know, I know, you didn't draw the the animation, but there's drawing is, is in there somewhere. But um, yeah, Colby Cole was it, and it wasn't until the end when I said, "Hey, next time I'm in LA, like I could take a taxi there, but can I stay in your guest house?" And <laughs> that was the start. He's like, "My guest house?" I'm like, "Yeah, can I stay at Casa de Bryant?" And he's like, "All right, man, you can stay in my guest house." And then later that day, I bugged him about something else about posters on his wall or whatever. And then I asked him for his address. And then the next time I saw him, I asked him for his phone number. And then the next time I saw him, I'm like, hey, I went to that address. It wasn't, so well, can I get did your it, new Didn't ad- he tell you to go to Compton or is that another did, interview? Yeah. yeah. So then I like rem- the fifth time he gave me an address and I went, it was in Compton. I was like, oh, we're, Compton is where you live? <laughs> yeah. Because meet me in Compton. And then we ended up, it was a church that he, uh, I think he just made up the address. Sure. We ended up going and it's a church. I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess this would make sense for me to like be here on a Sunday morning. And we went Sunday morning too. Kobe was like, meet me at 1 a.m. I'm like, 1 a.m. in Compton? No bueno. I'll meet you at 11 a.m. in Compton because the gangsters are sleeping. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I don't want to do this to you, but you brought uh, Kobe up. You're very known to have a lot of chemistry with Kobe. I remember specifically where I was the day I heard the news that he mm. passed away. I didn't think it was real. Like, I had to verify this three. It just didn't feel like Kobe was ever going to leave us. And so suddenly... Do you remember where you were and how did you take the news? I got a, I got a call from a, a producer at, I was working for Bleacher Report at the time and I was in Las Vegas. And he's like, 
Cap, did you see the news? I'm like, no. And it was early. He goes, go on TMZ. Go on TMZ. And I seen it. And I kept refreshing the page, bro, like for an hour. I'm like, this can't be real. This can't be real. Helicopter. Then, it just it just all sounded so out of nowhere. Yeah. And but TMZ had the story. So I knew it was legit. Cause yeah. TMZ doesn't miss very often. TFC's, TMZ is batting like 991 or something crazy like that. So, uh, yeah, that's where I was. And then um, I was fortunate enough, like a month later, I went to his service. And it was a celebration of Kobe. It was amazing. It was Staple Center. I'm sitting across from you. To my left, I know this is an audio medium, but I'm looking in the eyes of like, uh, Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Greg Popovich and DeMar DeRozan was over there. To my right, there's Jay-Z, there's Beyonce, there's Michael. Across from me, like the, so like the, the center of the floor was, it was like a square and there was like a, a, like a podium where people were, were, were eulogizing Kobe. Across from me is like Shaquille O'Neal, Kenny, Charles. Like it was, I mean, and like Alicia Keys performed, no, it was, it was um, Beyonce opened, Christina Aguilera um, sung like um, Moon Knight Sonata, I believe. Or no, Ave Maria. I believe, if memory serves me correctly, Alicia Keys um, sang. It was, it was just amazing. But like so many people wanted to come and, and pay respect and be there to honor. And you know the cool thing was, George? At the beginning of the service, there were people who like, like, because Beyonce opens it, there are people who, like, had their phones out. And then after, like, 10, 15 seconds, the phones went away. Because I was looking up into the, like, into the upper deck and just looking around, just kind of living in the moment. But then everybody just lived in that moment. There were no phones, bro. Like, people were there absorbing the energy, showing love, expressing love for Kobe, And we were just all present. And it was awesome. It was awesome. I, I mean, as, as awesome as something like that could be. I remember Shaq's speech in the... There's an Emmy in this uh, in this mother effort when he when he talked about the guys were complaining Kobe wasn't passing the ball to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, uh, just uh, I remember that. I'm like, what a, a way to send somebody off a celebration. You um, you like to give gifts to people, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember you had Aaron Rodgers on, and you're giving him like f- uh, portraits of him in the most famous moments in oh, history thanks, where you photoshopped thanks. him in. So when, when you agreed to do this and you said, I'm going to, I'm going to come in person and we'll do this. I got you something. Oh, wow. I, okay. I, I said, I have to like, if, if Cabby gets gifts for everybody, I do as well. And because you had a great relationship with Kobe, I got you a Kobe Bryant rookie oh, card. Wow, man. This is phenomenal, bro. Thank you. That's a thank you for like. This all is expensive, man. Like, you, I don't know what the budget is on this show, but you just blew the budget on this one uh, basketball card. Wow, I've never seen this card before. It's beautiful. I, I, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you, man. It's I, graded I, and I, everything, I, George. This is I know. fantastic. You thank know, you. You man. know what I wanted? Uh, Twenty years from now, when you've forgotten my name and you look at your Kobe Bryant card, you're like, I remember that fellow. He interviewed me once, and I and I got that card from him. Now I don't remember how to pronounce his last name, but I remember his name is George. Yeah, Cephal. Uh, not Cephalitis. It's uh, how do you say it again? Selfies. Selfies. Jeez, thank, this is very kind of you. Thank you, man. You're welcome. When I watched you first time, I I have a word. Uh, call it sauce. Okay. You know when someone has the sauce, <laughs> right? You know who that is for me now is Caleb Presley. Yeah, he's killing it. He, every killing it every yeah. interview he does is just, and he does 
a similar path to you where it's, this isn't a regular interview. We're going to create a wacky moment that people will remember. It's, and, and it's something you've never done with anybody else before. So like, that's kind of what I remember uh, when I watch your stuff. You did, a, you had a short stint doing stuff outside of sports media. Who's, who's the, your favorite non-athlete that you ever interviewed? Or one that stands out to you? You said you wanted to be like Will Smith. Was maybe well, Will Smith? Probably Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. I got. I interviewed him in a bathroom once at the MGM Hotel, and that was pretty memorable because he came in with this like grotesque fur coat that was <laughs> he probably bought at you know some thrift shop in LA. He had these glasses that folded up, and he had this like big fedora. Uh, and he said the only place he would do the interviews in the bathroom. I'm like, let's go. I signaled my cameraman, like, we're going. And it was like a one-seater. Toilet, me, Will Ferrell, my producer, Dave, and a camera guy. Four adult men in a bathroom. No cocaine. Just like, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> happens sometimes. Yeah. Talk about sauce. Um, yeah, he was phenomenal. I, I've interviewed Will, I think, two other times, and he's just magnificent. Like, he actually, you know, Hugh Jackman is also a great, interview because he gets all oh, the rocks pretty dope too I, i've been fortunate i mean i i've interviewed drake a couple of times only a couple of times and drake's really hard to get to even though we're in toronto yeah this guy is like always on his plane going somewhere on planet earth and i got drake to laugh a few times and that was like very rewarding for me because drake has a like really gregarious laugh um so those are some of the i guess will's probably at the top will ferrell um, but I've been fortunate to, to interview some other dudes. Like I, 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 I sung terribly with Kevin Hart once. The ones that get it, right? They understand yeah. what you're trying to accomplish, and yeah. they and they play with you, right? They and, play. And one of my, I'm sorry to cut you off there. Uh, I did this bit where I got in a lot of trouble for it, but I snuck in, like snuck in. I, I brought this like um, a Casio keyboard, and it was the junket for the Hangover Three. So it's Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, and Zach Galifianakis singing across from me. You get four minutes in these junkets. They're they're really they're pressure cooker uh, interview um, settings. And you talk about like trying to establish a rapport with someone. You have like fifteen seconds. Like, how you doing? Where are you from? And like, and then they're gonna get the same friggin' ten yeah. questions the whole day while they're while they're a bunch of the reporters yeah, are are, are cycling through like a car wash. So when I brought them, I brought them mullet wigs, which they all wore. And then at the end, I said, "Hey." Um, Ed, you, uh, at the end of uh, The Hangover, you just improv a memorable song. I'm hoping you can improv a memorable song for this interview. I go, and I'm, my heart is beating out of my chest. I'm like, I know I'm going to get in shit for this, but whatever. This is like my only, my only at back. Bring out the keyboard. I didn't really even test it. I put on Ed's lap. Zach leans over, hits the power button, turns up the volume. Ed starts playing, and then Zach, like, or Bradley Cooper's, like, stabilizes it because it's just on his... So then he improvs a song, and then it was like... Zach Galifianakis has helped that moment because he was just so helpful in actually like trying to get this thing to work and it worked. And then later I got in shit like the Warner brothers publicist, like you got to tell us if you're bringing to the, like this, you yeah. weren't clear to do that. You know, you got to tell us when, and, and those guys, I hope that that was the most memorable interview for them because they're totally unexpected, but I got in a lot of shit for them. Yeah. Publicists always like, they're like, Here's the time you got to be hit your ins and your outs. And they're very strict. Galifianakis has that two ferns. So he, 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 he has that same concept, right? 
when you were doing this stuff, this wasn't a thing like the 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 non-interview interview where it was like an entertainment. It was a bit, and that's why when I say you you trailblazed your own lane, right? This wasn't not a lot of people were doing this. Did you have someone that you look up to as a broadcaster? I know I love Joe Rogan's uh, podcast because it's just two guys having a conversation for mm-hmm. three hours, and they come off very well. When you're you know, building your chops as a broadcaster, who are you looking up to? Um, I think subconsciously I was maybe a Mod Rashad. When I was um, 25, I hosted a show called NBA XL. It was like an NBA magazine show. And I think like a Mod Rashad who hosted NBA Inside Stuff for a long time and he was very close with Michael Jordan and had like unbelievable access. I think they're still... Very, very uh, close. Um, he hosted that show for like a decade. So I would see it on Saturday afternoons. Um, so that probably informed some of my like traditional hosty stuff. But before when I was doing Streeters, there was a guy named Al Shearer and he was on BET. He did a segment called Hits from the Streets. Mm-hmm. And he would go to various um, uh, black colleges in the United States and he would just interview random people in New York. Now he would make fun of people and I didn't, I didn't do that in my interviews because I didn't think it was... I don't know. Maybe it was like the Canadian thing. And we're just no, like, you made fun of yourself. If any, if, I, if you I, were making fun of anybody. Well, thank you. That's what I tried to do. Um, and I think so some of that DNA rubbed off. Like Al was fearless. Like he would go wear costumes and he would just, I mean, he's in New York, like New York, like nobody has time for you ever. Like even <laughs> celebrities can walk around anonymously in New York because nobody cares. Yeah. Like so you can see Seinfeld in center and central park walking in, I don't think only tourists would bug Seinfeld, but other New Yorkers would be like, all right, just Seinfeld, I'm just going to keep, I have a thing to get to, so I'm not going to stop and, and bug this guy for a picture. Um, so yeah, um, Al and, and, uh, and uh, Ahmad Rashad probably informed some of my, um, some of my TV stuff. Now you, uh, you're here for a while, you're doing sports media. Yes. Opportunity comes up in Las Vegas. That's right. And you head over, first of all, like, were you nervous about like going to work and live in the States? Yes. And what was, uh, what was the job that you started with when you got out there? So I was with TSN at the time. I got a call on my wedding day. Hey, would you like to come down and audition for the show for Bleach Report? I just heard Bleach Report. I'm like, yes. But can we talk on Monday? Because I'm getting married today. <laughs> and a lovely woman named Tara August. She's like, oh, yes. Well, congratulations, of course. So we speak on Monday. Boom, I head down Wednesday to audition for a gambling show which was going to be done out of the Caesars Palace Hotel. This is like three weeks before the season, get the gig, and away I go. And I just got married too, so it caused a little bit of friction because like... Oh, we got to move. Yeah, well, no, I st- so I went to Vegas because I had like, I had, I had, um, I had like my O-1 visa, uh, but my wife, who's a chiropractor and she owns a business, she stayed in Calgary while I was in Las Vegas. So um, I only heard, I mean, I've been to Vegas a few times, but... A friend of mine, uh, Gary Lawless, worked for the Vegas Golden Knights. So he's like, you want to stay in Summerlin? So Summerlin is like a 20, is like a suburb outside of, like 20, 25 minutes away from the Strip. Stay in Summerlin. It's really nice. And go to the Strip when you need to. So that's what I did. And because I was the only Canadian on the, on the team, uh, I was new. I didn't know anybody. I was there to do like, hey, I'm in the States now. Like for so many Canadian broadcasters or entertainers, actually people in medicine, finance, like when you go work in the United States, it's like a validation of your talent. Oh yeah. Cause it's like the biggest pool in the world. And like, okay, now you're swimming in there. 
So I'm like, I'm not messing around. And also it's Vegas. Like it's a very slippery slope. I think I went out twice when I, like in the first season of this football show, I salute to Kelly Stewart, who was my co-host. And she was the first person that I met who was so dialed into gambling with like, she was doing, she had like spreadsheets, not spreadsheets, but she was running her own, um, not, not, she's running her own, um, Numbers, but what are those called when you when you do your own? Like she was like, "Well, I think this line by my numbers, the line should be two and a half, but it's three and a half." Yeah, she's modeling her own Mo- numbers. her own models. Thank you. And I was like, "What the? Like this is like I play fantasy football, and like I will bet maybe on the Super Bowl ten dollars on the coin flip, maybe twenty bucks on the Broncos to beat you know the Seattle Seahawks or or get molly whopped by the <laughs> Seattle Seahawks and yeah. Broncos beat the Cam Newton um, the Panthers yeah stuff like that but she there was a, it was a whole um, education about betting from her because then she like knew legit whales and then there are always ideas like oh we, we should like feature a whale and and she's like dude. These people do not want to be on camera. They do not want to have any profile. What's the real movers, the people who can like really move lines in Vegas, they want to remain as anonymous as possible because they don't want the IRS to be like, oh, we saw you, uh, we saw you in this little uh, video on YouTube. Like, what's, uh, can we check out your W1099 uh, <laughs> or whatever it's called? Uh, so we, we were nab- never able to get like one of these super influential betters like on any kind of programs. And we were, and so, so that's that. Uh, we worked with Chad Johnson who um, was just awesome. Like he is, Chad was, so he would fly to Vegas like once a month, maybe once every three weeks and stay for the weekend and just play video games. Like, so, so we had our, our production office was in the Caesars Palace Hotel. Our stage, our, we're, we were shooting this show in the sports book at, our call time was 6 a.m., 6 a.m. Pacific time. So I had to be there like 5.30 or 5.45. So I wasn't going out Saturday night. Our rehearsals on Saturday were at like 7 a.m. So I wasn't going out on Friday night. So my time in Vegas, I was like, I'm taking this seriously because I want to extend my career here. Yeah. Um, so, and then COVID hits in like March of 2020. It shuts the city down. It was biz- it, not biz- bizarre. Well, I think everywhere, but especially a place like Vegas. Which is a hospitality town. It's the first time I'd ever walked through a casino. There are no lights on. Didn't, there were no machines. There were no sound effects, no buzzes or dings. It was just quiet. I'm like, wow, this is so eerie. It felt like the movie 28 Days Later. Mm. In fact, some of the guys on the team, we would go for runs on the Las Vegas Boulevard because we could. There's no traffic. Wow. There's no cars. Every other um, intersection, there were like two or three cruisers that were just parked there just to make sure that, you know, people weren't, I don't know, looting or whatever. Um, so we would run on the strip, like in the middle of the road. I mean, now... Vegas is going to have an F1 race in November. So they're like ripping, they're, they're redoing all the asphalt in the city. But we were, hey, we put uh, shoes on the crown, on the ground. Our rubber was meeting the road uh, during the pandemic. And it was so cool. Super friggin' hot. Like idiots. We ran at like 1130, like, like the dead, like the hottest time of the day in Los, in the desert, 41 degrees Celsius. <laughs> like just idiots. But anyway, it was, that part was cool. Those are maybe the only cool part about the pandemic. Um, and then everything, obviously, you know, we were in a remote world and it's finally, Vegas is finally back or maybe it was back like last year. Uh, but the experience working with Bleacher Report as like the culture setters for betting culture, I learned so much there because 
the the two the two organizations that were really leading the culture and betting culture were Barstool and Bleacher, and we were mortal enemies. We we're always thinking of ways to like include the community, build with the community, like form relationships with people who would spend time with us. And that was the very ethos of what I wanted to do back here when I was recruited to come home and to work for SportsCenter. Building a, a content team and building a brand, like the community is so important. It's out, it might be niche, but people are out there and they want some place to come share their parlays or share them in the misery of like missing a leg, like we always do. And, and parlays, Aren't, aren't the best bets. They're fun <laughs> because they offer so much promise and hope, but it's not like, it's not a great strategy as far as like, I mean, it's, it's fun for entertainment, which most the research we've done at SportsSense, like most Canadian bettors bet for entertainment, not to make a living, make money. Whereas in the United States, which is a much more mature market, people bet there to make money. And in, in England, in, in the UK, People, that's like the primary reason why they bet is to make money versus on the other side of the spectrum for Canadians, it's for entertainment, social activity, social gatherings, playoffs, Super Bowl, March Madness, doing pools, that kind of stuff. So I learned, I learned so much in the two years that I was with Bleacher and then I came home and tried to apply some of those learnings with uh, Sportsnet. Okay. Uh, before we talk about what you're doing at Sportsnet, there's, there's this big battle going on with sports betting content, right? There's the... People who do it well and get a big audience are, you know, promoting parlays and uh, no run first inning. That whole yeah, squad, Nerfies. squad yeah. ride culture. Squad rise. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then, and then there's the educational aspect of sports betting where people are like, "No, uh, professionals don't do this. This is not how they make their money. This is actually how they make their money." And sometimes that audience isn't as big. Yeah. Do you believe there's room for all kinds of of entertainment, or do you think? Uh, we're, we're reaching a point where something's got to give um, because it's too skewed too far towards stuff that's suboptimal for the player and very good for the books. Well, parlays are good for the books. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, there's room for both. And I, I suppose it depends on your experience level. Um, I see gambling as, as entertainment. And it's, and for me, I mean, the way that I make a living is, running the content at, at uh, SportsCenter. And I'm not out here. I would be terrible if I was like, all right, you have a hundred bucks and you got to make, you got to make 125 by the end of the day or try to double it. Like I would just be out on my ass. And, uh, and I often tell people like, just, just bet with what you're comfortable losing. So if it's like a $2 sprinkle, just have, just be, be okay with just $2. Like you're not getting rich. It's not like a lottery ticket. I mean, you could put together a wild 14 leg parlay and I guess suppose it could be the equivalent of a lottery ticket with all kinds of long shots, but that's silly. It's fun, kind of silly. So yes, there's space for both. There are, um, you know, as a strategy at, at Sportsnet, I said like, let's, let's go after the casuals, the novices, people who like it for entertainment because the data shows that's where most Canadians, that's where they, that's where they are. They're in this category where they bet for entertainment. So let's go where the audience, where their tendencies are. So, but there's also, to your point, educational piece. I suppose when people become a little bit more experienced, they'll probably uh, graduate look, to that kind of concept. sure and look and look for more information to inform their bets. Yeah. You know, whether it's websites or whether it's people they they follow who give great great picks. I mean, 
people should know as um, that the best betters are the best of the best are winning at 60%. Like, and they, even 60%, it feels high. It's like 57 to 60%. And those are the best. Like, so it's very, very difficult to make a living strictly on betting, unless you are part of a fund and, you know, like 20 people put in or whatever, and then you make like one or two bets a day. Like that's a more disciplined way to do it. And maybe you'd have some more success. But again, it's, we're betting on humans. We're not, we're not betting on friggin' computers. It's not robot wars. Yeah, it's well, like human beings with emotion and there are referees and the, the, the different shape of the ball uh, and the wind and the environment. Like all those things are factors. And you know, that's why we love sports. Yeah, what, when I come down on it, because there's some people who feel strongly one way or another on the content. And like you're betting on probabilities of an outcome versus yep. what the price is of that outcome or the implied price and finding the discrepancies. But I don't gatekeep content to me. It, it, as long as you don't uh, misrepresent yourself, tell, uh, you know, talk about yourself as you are a winning better and professional and misleading people with information that is suboptimal like Vegas, Dave. Yeah. He, he's, he's the big one and he does it to sell picks, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's part of it. So I, I don't gatekeep the content. You um, get an opportunity in Canada. You said uh, Sportsnet, uh, an opportunity presents itself. You're the executive producer for betting content at Sportsnet. Did you get the job before you left Vegas or did you come back to Canada and then seek out a, a, a role like that? Um, no, I was, while I was in Vegas, there were some conversations that happened and then it was what pulled me back to Canada from Vegas because I was the opportunity was you build something fresh from the ground up you have this new title and then you can really chart the vision of what this is going to be and I was like that's pretty exciting so um, that's what brought me back there have been there's been some changes in the marketplace and we're still waiting for like the AG AGLC ACGO ACGO AGLC I think it's in Alberta but uh, AGC to decide like can entertainers, athletes be in commercials and, yeah. you know, part of the rollout strategy, I think was a miss for all of us in media. It was just like the, the audience really rejected the saturation of betting commercials on TV. And we were responsible for that too. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, um, and that I believe was, uh, we, if we look back on that and like, Oh, I was going to say in five years, but like, no, right now we're like, yeah, we should have like dialed that down a bit. So it was more of an, like an easier transition, but, um, you know, it happened. And, and so sports fans are like, there are, the audience is kind of split in half. Like there are sports fans that reject gambling. And then there are sports fans that have an interest in gambling or actually gamble It's like 50, 50. So our strategies had to change, but like how we present betting content to the masses, to like a sports audience. So we, we're not we're not doing like educational pieces where hey this is what a parlay means this is what m m plus money is there's a little bit of like I'll so on hockey night can I have these little integrations where I'll have like a two minute bit in the pregame show and then like a, a little one minute um, intermission hit and there are times I'll explain well minus one thirty five means you have to bet a dollar thirty five to win a dollar just so that. I mean, there are people in the audience who don't know what the plus and the minus means. And we use the American odds because that's just what we see in American sports. Yeah. We don't do like the decimal thing. So um, that is like the small educational piece. But generally, we try to we try to present it as like, 
this is great. This is information for you. We're not saying you need, you should bet, but it's information for you. Hopefully it's good information and this can inform your bets if you, if you choose to do so. And it's totally up to you. We're not like, yeah, use this code and, oh no, you know what? I do say there's a, pro, there's a code to download the app. So I'm not, we're not forcing like, all right, this promo code will give you like $25. When you sign up, we you can't do it. We don't do any of that kind of stuff. Okay. You talked about, you know, uh, the overlap and infusing it into the broadcast, but there are some members of the audience that hate it. Yeah, of course. Do you, do you see a role where you can properly integrate it or do you think it needs to have its own broadcast? Here's the gambling broadcast. No, it needs to be in both. It needs to be, it, it's, it's not mainstream yet, but it's always going to be a part of the conversation. Just cause like it's been a part of the conversation for like, Jimmy, the Greek was doing betting hits. We're, on like just open, we're open about it now. We used to pretend it didn't exist, right. but it like, there's a reason why Monday night football has 20 million viewers when it's the two worst teams in football playing. And it's not that people love those teams. It's people nah. have money on that game. Yeah, the Houston Texans versus the Atlanta Falcons. Like there's a, yeah, that's, that's on the schedule for a reason. But listen, whenever we, the audience will just become used to the gambling inter integrations because they're seeing ads in the arenas, yeah. on the boards, in the, you know, on, maybe not in football, maybe in the stadiums, but not on the field, obviously, because there's no, there are no ads on the fields in the NFL. But in basketball games, you'll see ads on the, some virtual on the court or whatever. Um, you know, I think um, I think Ted Leonsis was the first owner, and he he's the own, owner of the Washington Capitals, the Washington Mystics, the Washington Wizards. He opened a sports book in the Capital One Center in Washington D.C. and and he's another guy, and this is this is separate, but just sold like a five or ten percent piece of like that ownership group yeah. to like the Saudi foreign investment or or like a like a foreign, I believe it's a Middle Eastern foreign investment fund. So like I know that's another Pandora's box, but as far as gambling goes, it's just going to be more mainstream. And ESPN bet having this deal with Penn is ob like obviously a game changer. Like ESPN yeah. is now an operator. And they just got a $150 million infusion of capital for the next 10 years through Penn. And that's really going to be, you know, ESPN, the, the E in ESPN is entertainment. They're going to make a lot of content too to drive people to the sports book. Okay, so here, here's my question uh, with broadcast because here's where I think there's a disconnect. When you have your normal panelists um, talk about betting, and even if they have experience betting, they may not have a particular expertise. Whereas if you you have a, a show and you want a coach's perspective on something, you bring on a former coach. Sure. Otherwise, like somebody who's never coached telling you about a coach's perspective, there's a disconnect there, right? So with sports betting, it's, it's when the reporter whose job is to report on the game is also telling you about the sports betting as opposed to... Has that happened yet though? It, it happens uh, too often where it's like... Uh, You'll, you'll watch like former NFL players um, uh, talking about their betting analysis. But and it's in like, the broadcast? Yeah, like uh, pre the pregame show and stuff. Not, not, the, not the actual like while the game is being broadcast. But in the pregame show. In the pregame show. Whereas, you know, you might have a little bit more credibility or people might be more willing to listen if it's somebody who's a proven winner who understands um, the gambling aspect and can speak to terms uh, of how the market's moving, not just, hey, this team is better, therefore bet this, because that's not how sports betting works. 
Um, I don't want to name names or anything. And it's not that this kind of interview, but I, I think there's, that's the disconnect where if you're, you're given a coaching, uh, um, a coaching perspective or a, ex-players perspective you bring on an expert in the field or someone who's done it and when you're talking about gambling using it as a throwaway like the four commentators on the panel are also just doing hey bet this just because i think that's where it it, that's where people are put off you you almost have who do you think's put off by that uh two segments of the audience the one that doesn't care about sports betting but also the ones who want to be successful at sports betting Telling me your picks uh, just because, and you don't, and I don't know, like if if there was a big coaching situation, and uh, you know Sean Payton fights with uh, Nathaniel Hack, calls him out, basically yeah. says you're the reason Russell Wilson sucked. Yeah, and you're discussing it on a show. Do you want a random person's perspective, or do you want somebody like Rex Ryan, who's been in a coaching circle, to say why all the reasons why that wasn't appropriate or why he shouldn't do it? As in, a viewer, in, in that case. Uh, I'd want to hear from someone on the on Denver or someone on the Jets or even someone with Green Bay where Nathaniel Hackett was the not the he was the quarterback's coach I think or sure um to speak on like Hackett's you know I guess I also want a coach to be like yeah no he did suck you, you want you, first of all you want multiple perspectives of it right sure it, or if if it's just one like from one of those so so Denver New York Green Bay, or uh, to your point, yes, yeah, sure, or an ex-coach to speak about it. Um, but so I guess, so that's one, that's one segment a year. So it's doing content as a throwaway or because we have to do it. But here, but you have to remember, George, what, what's the audience? Like if you're, to, if you're doing an NFL pregame show that has like say 20 million people that are watching a random Monday night football game, is that a general sports audience? Or is that a gambling audience? Because if it's if it's Eagles, Chiefs, that's a sports audience because we just saw them in the friggin' Super Bowl. But if it's I don't know, let me let me try to think. If it's Browns, Panthers, and Baker Mayfield isn't on either team, then maybe it's people who just are diehard football fans like yourself who would hit button A. Maybe some guy. I, I guess it. I, I guess if you ever did a bit, right, or, or an interview, you as the audience, I guess, is like the bigger question. But you would never treat anything like a throwaway, right? You wouldn't do a bit just for the sake of, hey, let's just do this bit. You you have to believe in it, right, and give and believe that there's some entertainment value. So okay, it's great that you said entertainment value. So the panel, if it's like uh, Randy Moss, Steve Young, um, Sam Ponder, and Trent Dilfer on a pregame show. And like, yeah, these are our player props. Like, if I'm just a casual or a novice, I'm like, oh, okay, that's the confirmation bias I'd want. Like, oh, okay, um, uh, I don't know if it's a uh, Alan Lazard over 59 and a half uh, receiving yards. Like, and uh, and Randy Moss, like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking the over, and I'm like, oh, I'm. It's Randy Moss. Like this guy, play, he's a Hall of Famer. So it might be a throwaway to you, George, because you have a lot of experience. But if you're just a casual, then that could that could be like, you know, I'm going to ride with Randy Moss because he knows the game better than I ever will. Uh, or if it's just for entertainment, for, you know, shits and giggles, then I'm not as put off by it as you are yeah. because we have different levels of betting experience. I, I'm sure, I believe that you are a much more informed better than I am and you probably have a lot of success in betting. But you're, you're a smaller, fra- 
from your perspective, a smaller fraction of the audience. And maybe for ESPN, they're doing the calculus, like, all right, we're still speaking to a general audience because we do the calculus, not the word ESPN, that we're like, we are speaking to a general sports audience, so we don't want, we're not trying to like have, we're not trying to be super expert about it, and we want to just merge with the broadcast. Be like, here's just some more information for you on these particular players or this additional storyline, which might be interesting for you. Uh, but I, yeah, the, the entertainment part with like them saying, I, I'm not put off as put off by it as you are. I, you know, I'm not, I don't gatekeep content. Oh yeah. You said you don't yeah, gatekeep. So, yeah. Okay, no, right. I, I'm only trying to paint the discussion that happens okay. and I'm not as bothered by it. You have worked in American uh, sports betting media and now Canadian. What's the difference in markets? Hmm. Canada's a young, very young market. Obviously, we've reg been regulated for, or Ontario's been regulated for 16, 17 months. In the United States, when I was a bleacher, football, college football, NBA, college, uh, college basketball, then everything else. Mm. Nothing else moved. The only players or that would move the needle in betting was if Tiger was in a major... Serena sometimes was in a major and then like a, a huge prize fight. Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, like that moves the needle, you know, or if Floyd Mayweather fights or Connor, you know, Connor McGregor, he, he moved the needle. Yeah. So there are very few like individual, um, individual athletes that, that like got elevated to like the national discussion, but it was generally football, basketball, everything. Else. So here, it's hockey, football, basketball, baseball that we've seen. I, I wish I had my laptop with me because I could be like, yeah, 36% of the audience bets on this. And I, we have that. We have those insights. But that's what I remember from the most recent um, data set that we got. So that's, that would be the, the difference. And well, now that ESPN, ESPN and Turner are in the hockey business. So there's, Bleacher does a little bit more hockey a little bit more hockey content but it's still like it's just football and football and football and then basketball because the stars are so big and like people make content of like Steph Curry could like a Jordan Poole post and that's a post yeah. like oh yeah. you know this anyway that's the era that we live in or Kylie Jenner is dating now dating I don't know, Bradley Beal oh <laughs> so Phoenix Suns like dude you're dating Devin Booker seven months ago like yeah. that would that would just set the internet on a blaze or like, Oh, Pete Davidson that's at a Knicks game with, okay. So Knicks is okay. So he's at a sporting event. Who's his new girl. And it could be Doja cat or whatever. And that's like, that's going to, that's going to be in the conversation for the next four or 12 hours or whatever. Cause Pete Davidson is, I mean, he's probably got a pipe, bro. Oh, this, this, I've, I I'm, mean, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I've had this conversation with friends, I'm like, he's gotta be holding a, an apple down there. Yeah, he's got Thor's hammer, yeah. like, or something like all of the girl, like yeah, all, all of, of the baddies. And and you just know that's like back room conversation. Like you gotta get with Pete uh, to see what's up because there's no way uh, that he's pulling down a class. Like he he's batting the same level of like Leo DiCaprio. Like he, he he's knocking down some baddies. He really is like salute to Pete. I've never met him, but Hey, salute, bro. You're doing some, you're doing some big things. Last question. Okay. And you've been so gracious with your time. I truly appreciate it. Uh, you know, there's the great life paradox of like 
uh, you have a lot of energy when you're young, uh, but you don't have a wealth of knowledge. Uh, as you get older, you have a wealth of knowledge, but now you no longer have your youth. Mm. You've been at this for 20 years and you've learned and seen a lot. You've learned the ropes. What's something you wish you knew as a young broadcaster um, that mm. you now know that you think could have helped your career in a different in a different way? I'll give you one as my example. Sure. Just so you like, and this just happened with, I used to believe in being the hardest worker in the building and, uh, you know, being so dedicated to your, to your work. And what I learned as time went on is you're not defined by your job or your career. You're defined by the relationships you have with people in life. And don't, don't strive for like career success just so you can define yourself as a person. Uh, that's been my greatest uh, lesson learned through through my work and through my life. That's wonderful. I was on the same thread. I, I was thinking about like relationships are currency. And I think about some of the relationships that I effed up because I didn't, I was pursuing interviews or interactions with people and I wasn't, I was like treating them like, like interactions or treating them like, job stuff, not like human connections. Like, let me check in with this person as a human versus like, yo, do you want to do an interview? And yeah. that's how, that's, I, I, I messed up a few big relationships because of that. And I learned because I made the mistakes, but yeah, relationships are currency and like, um, it's hard not to take some things personal. It's hard because I, I also still struggle with that, but sometimes it's not what happens to you like people may not be as intentional about what they do to you versus what they're trying to do for themselves. I know that one's a little bit more convoluted and I, I know it means it takes a, a, like an example and I don't have one that I would share, uh, share with you. Um, but relationships are currency for sure. is one that I would lean on. So similar to yours. Great. I, um, I appreciate everything, man. Like I had a blast. I hope you did too. You Me do, too, yeah. you do so many interviews Thanks. and, uh, 20 years from now, you're going to remember that, that one time that guy, George, uh, is the reason why I have a Kobe Bryant rookie card. Thank you, man. This is very sweet. I appreciate you, George. Cabby, thanks so much. That's it for me. Another edition of 90 Degrees is in the books. I want to thank my guest, the one and only Cabby, the sponsors of this show, Pinnacle and Betstamp, and my producer, Jason Cooper. Thanks for listening. Do me a favor. Before you go, I want you to like, share, and subscribe to this content, and we'll keep putting out great episodes. We'll be back next week with another edition of 90 Degrees. 